Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 17. Until now, we've been moving through the Gospel of John at a steady pace. We've been learning about, it's called the narrative sections in there. We're learning about Jesus' miracles. We're learning about the outrageous claims he makes about himself. The startling claims that he makes about himself. But he's working miracles, so he can't be a blasphemer. What's going on? And all of that was to prepare us for where we are right here. We're in the last quarter of the Gospel of John. Three quarters of the book is to get you ready for the last quarter. To get you ready for this. Mm. Well, like I said, we've been moving along at a pretty good clip. But this is where we really slowed out. This is where we run into rich, thick theology. Especially in this chapter. In this prayer. This is the longest prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ that's recorded in the scripture. And so we're going to slow down. We're going to examine this prayer carefully. I don't know how long it's going to take us. But Lord willing... It won't take any longer than is necessary and will take all the time that's necessary as well. The last time that we looked here in John 17, we saw that this prayer breaks down into three sections, if you will. Three portions. Verses 1 through 5, the Lord Jesus is praying for himself that he might glorify the Father. In verses 6 through 19... He's praying for the 11 faithful apostles that are there with him in that room that night. And their ministry. And then in verses 20 through 26, he prays for us. He prays for all who will believe in him through their work. And the primary way that we benefit from their work is what they wrote. The scriptures, the New Testament, the epistles, the gospels, Revelation, the book of Acts. So let's begin by reading tonight Not all of this section concerning The eleven apostles But the prayer in verses 6 through 12 So follow along with me please This is Jesus praying to the Father I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me I manifested your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name. 
the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I mean, right there, in those seven verses, 6 through 12, there is so much. It's so much. There's no way that I'm going to be able to cover that tonight. So I'm going to cover one point. Out of all these verses, one point, and I'll probably cover just one point next week. But the one point I want to deal with tonight is the Father's name. The Father's name. Hmm. In verse 6 he says, I have manifested, I have revealed your name. In verse 11 he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name you have given me. In verse 12 he says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. Your name, talking to the Father. Your name, Father. Well, the question is, what is that name? Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses will have a ready answer for us. Mm. The name is Jehovah. That's the name of the Father. Mm. There's a problem with that. The problem is that the name Jehovah is a contrived name. It's not found anywhere in the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. The name Jehovah doesn't show up until the 13th century in the 1200s. We think that whoever it was that first used Jehovah as the name of God as a substitute for Yahweh probably took the consonants from Yahweh and the vowels from Adonai. Adonai meaning Lord or Master. So you take the consonants from Yahweh and the vowels from Adonai and you get Yehovah. <laughs> and then that becomes Jehovah. It's a contrived name. It's an invented name. We know from the Hebrew that God's covenant name is Yahweh. So we say, okay, then that's the Father's name. Yahweh. That's the name Jesus is referring to. Well, we have a problem with that too. And you know what the problem is. Yahweh is not just the Father's name. It's the Son's name as well. I mean, in this gospel, in chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, ego I meet. I, I myself am. And they pick up stones to stone him because they immediately know he is identifying himself with the God of the burning bush. Because there in the burning bush episode with Moses, Moses says, who are you? What name should I tell the Israelites that you are when I go to speak to them? God says, tell them I am hath sent you. I am. Yahweh. Hmm. And if Jesus is saying here in verse 6, when he says, I have revealed, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me. If he's saying there, 
and he's not but if he's staying there I have revealed to them a name that they've not known you by before that I have given them your name which they have not known before no all the Jews knew that God's covenant name is Yahweh so he can't be saying that there's no place in the gospels where Jesus says now fellas this is the father's name you will not find that anywhere in the gospel where he says this is the father's special name so what is this name that Jesus is manifesting that he has revealed to his apostles and to all of his disciples as a matter of fact but especially to the eleven well it's staring us right in the face throughout the whole gospels all four gospels the name of the father that Jesus has revealed to his disciples is father say what it's father and this is revolutionary for these people you see there's only a a few times in the Old Testament and, and I should have counted them up but I didn't have time there was only a few times in the Old Testament that Yahweh refers to himself as the father of Israel or he will refer to David as my son or he says Israel is my son or David in, his, in one of his prayers will pray to God and say that you are my father now it's, it's there in the Old Testament but it's rare when Jesus taught his disciples to pray in John chapter 6 and verse 9 What did he say? How did they address the God of Israel? He didn't say, pray like this. Yahweh, who art in heaven. Adonai, who art in heaven. El Shaddai, the Almighty, who art in heaven. El Elyon, the Most High, who art in heaven. What did he say? He said, pray like this. Now he's talking to unredeemed people at this point. He says, pray our Father who are in heaven. That's that's revolutionary. That's radical for these Jews. I mean, Yahweh's out there. Yahweh is entirely different from us. He's holy. He's pure. He's spirit. He doesn't have a body. Until he shows up in one. He's not like us. He's dangerous. He keeps his distance. He's in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. He's in the temple in the Holy of Holies. That's where he is. We're protected from him by this thick veil, this hand-thick veil 
that separates the Holy of Holies from the temple. The high priest can go into his presence only once a year with incense and the blood of the, of the goat. The sin offering on the day of atonement. And he dare not go in there without incense and he dare not go in there without the blood of the atonement. God is awesome. God is magnificent. God is dangerous. He's all powerful. He's almighty. Utterly transcendent. And yet Jesus, who is Yahweh the Son, Jesus, that temple was built for him. The Old Testament says that Yahweh will appear suddenly in his temple. When Jesus walked into the temple, he fulfilled that. Jesus tells his disciples who are starting to believe in him. Pray like this. Our Father who are in heaven. This is new. The name that Jesus has manifested for the Father to his disciples, especially to these eleven, and then to us, is Father. That is inconceivable to a Jew, especially a Jew in these days. Uh, that's inconceivable to a Muslim to think, to call God his Father, to call Allah his Father. He would never think a thing like that. But yet Jesus says, God, the Father, is not only his Father, but he's also the Father of his disciples, those who believe in him. Jesus is telling us that God becomes our Father. God the Father becomes our Father when we believe in Him. And it's by adoption. And again, you talk to a Jew and say that God would adopt a sinner to be His own child, a Muslim. That would be blasphemous. They would kill you if you said that God had adopted you as his own child. But Jesus says he has. Look at Romans chapter 8. This is Paul expanding on what Jesus has said. Romans chapter 8, verses 13 through 16. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. Notice the difference between flesh and body. We'll get into that sometime. The flesh is not your corporal body. The flesh is not the human body. The body is good. If the body was not good, Jesus would not have come in a body, in a human body. All right. Nothing wrong with the body. It's what the flesh does with the body. But that's for later. Verse 14. For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are 
sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery again, uh, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption as sons. By the way, that's a technical word, to be adopted as a son. It's not just adoption, it's to be adopted as a son. You know, ladies, Christians, ladies who uh, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the adoption of sons because it's the sons who are heirs in the Roman world. You have received the, uh, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, there it is. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and if children also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus is teaching us here. I mean obviously we're not natural children of God. Only he is. Jesus is teaching here and Paul expands on it and explains it to us. That when we come to faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we trust him, when we entrust ourselves to, to him, God Almighty becomes our father. Now, the Jews would not even pronounce the name of Yahweh uh, after the, the exile, when they were returned to the land after the exile. They wouldn't even say it. When they were reading their Hebrew, what they would call Bible, we would call it the Old Testament, but the, the Tadak. When they were reading the Hebrew Scriptures, <clears throat> if they came along and saw Yahweh, mentally they would see Yahweh, but what came out of their mouth when they were reading in the synagogue was Adonai. They would substitute Lord for Yahweh. Now do you understand what we've done to the English Bible, to, the, to so many English translations? That's why you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. We just continued that tradition. But the word, the name is Yahweh. They would not even pronounce Yahweh at all. Lest they be found guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain. You can't even pronounce the name of your God when you pray to him. Jesus comes along and says you're not only going to call him by his covenant name you call him Father our Father who is in heaven no longer Yahweh no longer El Shaddai alone no longer Adonai no longer just El Elyon substitutes no He's now your father. El Shaddai is your father. Yahweh is your father. Adonai, the Lord of all creation. He's your father. He's adopted you when you trust in me. The most high is your father when you trust in me. And the Bible makes it plain that God the Father does adopt us when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read to you Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 5. One of my favorite passages. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him. In love 
he predestined us to the adoption of sons in Christ to himself. In love, he predestined us to the adoption as sons in Christ. That's trusting in Christ. Not everybody's a child of God. Not everyone has been adopted by God. Only those who have trusted our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what we're being told here. So that the name of Jesus' Father, when he says, My Father, is revealed to his disciples as their father by faith in him Mm. now the question we have to ask is what sort of father is he because we have to admit I know people that have had harsh cruel distant fathers one of my best friends when I was uh, a young man when I was in my early teens we used to hunt together all the time. His father was distant. And so this good friend of mine would come to my dad to pour his heart out, to, to ask for, for advice, to ask for counsel on things. Because his dad was just too distant. Didn't have time for him like that. Well, is God like that? I mean, he is God. He is the Most High. He is the Creator. He, he fills the universe. And that's not all of him. I mean, the, the universe can't contain him. Uh, the psalmist says, what in the world, are we, how can we pray to you when even the universe can't contain you? When all of the countries, all of the, the nations of the earth are weighed in your scales and they're smaller than the fine dust on your scales. He's immense. And he's terrifyingly holy. That scares us sometimes. How holy he is when we're not. The fact that he's called a consuming fire in his holiness. The fact that he's of purer eyes than to gaze on sin approvingly. Mm. So what kind of a God is he so pure and so holy and so strict that he's stern well let's find out in chapter 17 verse 6 notice what Jesus says I have manifested your name I have revealed your name what kind of God is he what kind of father not what kind of God what kind of father is he Jesus says here, I have revealed your name. He says the same thing in chapter 14, verse 9. Philip says, just show us the Father. What did Jesus say? Have I been with you all so long, Philip, and you have not known me? He who sees me sees the Father. What kind of father is he look at the Lord Jesus Christ and you see what kind of a father he is because the father is perfectly revealed in his son Mm. what kind of father is he he's certainly not distant what's one of the names 
for the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? Emmanuel, God with us. See, this, our Father does not stay out there sitting on his throne watching us. Just like we're little ants down here on this planet and he's watching us. He comes to us. And he comes to us not only in the person of the Holy Spirit, but he comes to us in the person of his Son. And he walks around in the person of his Son. Our Lord Jesus Christ is touching us. He's breathing what we breathe. He's eating what we eat. He's suffering what we suffer. With us. God. With us. He's not distant. And then, once we've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're born again by His Spirit and He indwells us. No, He's not a God that's just out there. He's a God that's right here. He's in us. And He's not harsh. He's long-suffering and He's patient. <laughs> Look at how the Lord Jesus Christ deals with His disciples. You know, he teaches a parable. This is especially true in the synoptics. He teaches a parable. And then they walk away. And what all the disciples say. Uh, explain to us the meaning of the parable. And one time Jesus has to say. Do you still not get it? But then he explains it to them. He's long suffering. He's patient. He puts up with us. He knows we're knuckleheads. He, he knows what we were. He knows what we still are. And he's patient and long-suffering with us. Mm. He's compassionate. Uh, Eric talked about that this morning. You, you think about all of the miracles that the Lord Jesus did. I'm trying to think of one other than turning the water into wine. Was there another miracle that he did that did not involve mercy and compassion on someone? He gave sight to the blind. He healed all, it says, all sorts of diseases. <clears throat> one writer said one time that disease and sickness was banished from Palestine when Jesus was walking on the face of the earth. Anywhere he went, Anytime he could heal anybody at will. And so the multitudes came to him. Why? To get healed. To be healed. He cast out demons. I mean, if there's anything more repulsive to Yahweh than our sin, if there is such a thing as that, it's probably demons. And he was casting them out left and right. He was having compassion on these people who were demonized. Some of whom were demonized perhaps because they invited the demons in. And he's casting them out. Mm. He's healing the dying. He's healing the crippled. This compassion that he had for people. He, we saw this morning. He looked on the people and he had compassion for them because they were distressed and scurrying about like sheep without a shepherd. He raised the dead. He raised the uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. Twelve-year-old little girl raised her from the dead. He raised the widow of Nain's only son, her only means of provision, her only provider 
raised him from the dead in the middle of the funeral procession. The men are carrying the casket. He walks over to the casket. He touches the casket. They stop. He says, get up. And he gets up. Now, you can imagine what that did to the crowd. You know. He went home with his mother. And then he raised Lazarus. Four days dead. Surely he's stinking by now. No. When Jesus raised him from the dead, he came out whole and clean. And it was all out of his compassion. This is the kind of father we have. Remember, the father is perfectly revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. We'll get into that some more next week when we look at what the father's given him. Uh, the father, <laughs> he's not distant, he's not harsh, he welcomes sinners. Now, really, he welcomes sinners. Sinners who are curious about him. You know, there is no such thing as a seeker. You know, there's none that seeks after God. No, not one. But, when the Holy Spirit begins drawing someone, then the sinner becomes a seeker. Then he wants to know the truth. And God the Father doesn't sit back and say, Now, you have your Bibles, you should have known this by now, just stay away. No. He welcomes those who want to learn about him. Think about Jesus. He's headed toward Jerusalem. He's passing through Jericho and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. The chief tax collector. Not just the tax collector, the chief tax collector of that area. The biggest crook, the biggest extortioner, the biggest traitor in that area. Little Zacchaeus up in the sycamore fig tree. And what does Jesus say? You sinner. No. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must eat at your house. I must stay at your house. In your house today. And what do all the Pharisees say? He's going to be with a sinner. He welcomes sinners. What do he say? The well don't need a physician. It's the sick that need a physician. You remember when he called uh, Levi. Again, another tax collector. And Levi throws this big party at his house for the Lord Jesus and all of his disciples. I can just imagine the disciples, I'm sorry, they're squirming, you know, like good Baptists around drunks. You know, they're squirming there with all these other tax collectors and sinners that are there at the party. And Jesus is in the middle of it and he's welcoming them so that they will get to know him for who he is. And what do the Pharisees say? Why does your, your master eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Because he's there for them. He's there for us. He welcomes those who want to get to know him. That's the way the Father is. And he's ready to forgive sinners who repent. The Father is ready to forgive all those who trust in His Son and who repent of their sins. You remember when Jesus was at Simon the Pharisee's house having lunch? And Simon treated him like a begrudged guest. Didn't wash his feet. Didn't give him a kiss. Didn't anoint his head. And what happened? We say it gently and tenderly. The immoral woman came in. Everybody knew she was a sinner, and we know what kind of sinner they're talking about here. She was notorious throughout her town. 
And she came in and fell at his feet. And she began to weep. And her tears fell on his feet. And she began to dry his feet with the hair of her head. And she began to kiss his feet. And Jesus and Simon said, he can't be a prophet. If he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. And he wouldn't let her touch him. And you remember what Jesus said to Simon. And we won't go into that tonight. You didn't welcome me. But since I came in here, she has not ceased to kiss my feet and to dry them with the hair of her head. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Mm. He's ready to forgive sinners who repent. And he's ready to forgive and cleanse and pick up his own who stumble. You remember Peter. Peter, big, you know, boasting Peter, self-confident Peter. He's having his best life now. And he says, if everybody forsakes you, I won't. I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter, the Gospels tell us, fiercely refuted that. He fiercely refuted that he was going to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. But what did Jesus say in addition to that? But when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. I know you're going to deny me three times. I know you're going to sin against me. I know that you're going to turn your back on me. But you're going to come back. You're going to repent. And when you do, strengthen your brothers. He is ready to restore and to cleanse his own when we repent and return to him. And what happened on the, the day, uh, the, the, on the first Lord's Day there, when he had come from the tomb and he appeared to the eleven, well, he appeared to the ten because Thomas wasn't there. And then he appeared to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. And you remember that when they figured out who he was, they ran back seven miles. They're running uphill seven miles. They must have been stout fellows. And they, they got back to the upper room where the ten were. And they said, he's alive. And the, and the, other, ten, <laughs> the other ten said, yeah, we know it. <laughs> and he has appeared to Simon. Oh, he's ready to forgive. He, he's ready to restore. He's ready to cleanse all of his who repent of our sins when we fail him. Ah. He's protective. Look at verse 11. God the Father is not only ready to restore us, he's protective. Jesus says, I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Keep them. Tereo. Guard them like a treasure. Guard them, Holy Father, in your name. And in verse 12, he says, I was guard, I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. Our Father is a protective guard, a protective Father. He guards his own. He guards his children, those who he's adopted. Those who have been born again by the Spirit. Those who have trusted his own Son. Those who have become 
the property and the slaves of our Lord Jesus Christ and willingly become the property and the slaves of our Lord Jesus Christ. He guards his own children the way a human father looks after and guards his own beautiful young daughter. That's how the father guards us. Any daddy worth his salt will make sure that nothing comes into the life of his daughter that's going to lead her in, well, going to be allowed to lead her into defilement. He's going to stop it. He's going to protect her. And when the enemy comes along to us who have been born again, to us who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, to us who have Christ on the inside of us, and the enemy comes along and catches us in our weak moments and begins leading us into defilement, what does the Father do? He sends his Holy Spirit and he stops it. He brings us to our senses and we repent and we return back to him. And like we saw earlier, he's ready to cleanse and forgive and restore all of his children that come back to him. Mm. He's protective. He's always available. You notice that about the Lord Jesus Christ? He was always available. Day and night. What do you say in Matthew? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. When it hits you, come to me. When your eyes wake up, come to me. When you need me, come to me. And I will give you rest. He didn't say, come to my office hours. Nine to five, Monday through Friday, and I'll give you rest. No, come to me. He's always available. Our Heavenly Father just like his son is always available to us 24-7. This is the kind of father we have. And he loves his own. In chapter 13, at, at the very beginning of the upper room discourse, we're told that having loved his own, the Lord Jesus Christ loved them to the end. To the end. I don't know if I made it plain when we were there. But to the end means to his last breath on the cross. After they deserted him. After they denied him. He loved them. When they were nailing him to the cross. He loved them. When he was hanging on the cross. He loved his eleven. He loved uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved the 120 that were going to be in the upper room. He loved them to the end until he finally allowed himself to die. When he was taking all of the wrath of the Father for our sins on himself, he loved them. He loves us the same way. The Heavenly Father loves us. When it says he loved them to the end, that's a permanent love. That's an unchanging love. Our Heavenly Father loves us with a permanent love unchanging love because his love isn't based on our lovableness I don't even know if that's a word but it's based on his own goodness and grace and he loves us because he chooses to love us he loves us out of his own self control and out of his own will to display his grace and his kindness toward us in Lord Jesus Christ 
And he chose to love us knowing what we were and knowing what we are still. And again, we, we see this in his son. What did Jesus say? In John chapter 15, verse 16, right there in the upper room discourse. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Hmm. He chose to love us. And his love is unchanging and his love can't change and his love is to the bitter end. And there is no bitter end for us. There's only sweetness. Mm. This is our father. This is God the father. This is the father who was revealed to us in his son our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Father who has adopted us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who now calls us His own children. Hmm. Beloved, what kind of love is this that we should be called the children of God? And such we are. 1 John 3, 1. Yeah. This is our Father. This is the Father. So when Jesus says, I have revealed your name to the men whom you gave me, this is what he means. And this is the Father whom we worship. And this is the Father who keeps us through faith by his own power for an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that will not fade away forever. Hallelujah. What a Father. What a God. Stand with me, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed.